Walt Disney was a marketing genius. In 1957, he mapped out how Disney was going to continue growing and increasing revenue decades to come. Today, Ron Higgins, head of content at Overphone, he sees this as the mental model for creating, repurposing, and distributing content. In this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first how to escape the content hamster wheel. Second, what is the Dizzy Synergy Map and how it relates to content marketing. Third, an example of a B2B company doing this well. And fourth, Ron's marketing lessons from his time working in film and TV industry in Hollywood. That's pretty cool. But before we start, I've created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download, fill in, and apply Disney growth map to your content marketing. You can get it at marketingpowerups.com right now or find the link in the show notes and description. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Rebelly John. Hey, Ronnie, I'm so excited to chat with you. What's Let's talk about marketing power-ups. I know we're going to be digging into this. I'm a big fan of Disney, so we're going to be talking about Disney's synergy map that is like help powered up your uh, the way you think about content. Uh, before we do, I just want to like, dig into why it seems like I don't know about you, but like SaaS company or even tech companies have this addiction, like create more content. And uh, while I was like putting together some questions, it's like it's like that song from my favorite rapper. Like more content, more problems, but you know, obviously more money, more problems. But I'm curious why that, you know, what's well, f- for, for us in content, we know that more, more content is not always better. Like, yeah. I'm curious what, you know, what, what, why that is, um, that, that addiction we have to creating more content, especially in the tech or even in SaaS or even in marketing. <laughs> like, what no, is, yeah. why are we so addicted to content so much? I think it's, I think we have to go back to why content in B2B SaaS or just B2B like became a thing a decade ago is you had a website. Your website was about your product or service and this whole thing of search engine optimization and Google started to kind of become a thing. Mm. And you needed to be able to like, rank for searches that were not at that state, the like bottom of the funnel or that product aware stage. So you needed a way to like add more pages to increase your ranking, but it would be gratuitous to just build landing pages over and over again. And so whether I think we realized it or not, the adoption of content marketing was a way to add pages to a website to mm-hmm. increase it the keyword density and to and that's why SEO has become such a prominent like thing and people think content equals SEO mm-hmm. is because we hadn't like really thought about what we we're supposed to be doing and it was just about adding more pages so like you know at open phone right like an, an example here is Oh, so we're rolling out a group calling feature. Well, all right. Well, we're calling it group calling. We're not going to call it three-way calling. How do we add, you know, capture traffic from people searching three-way calling? Oh, well, let's write a blog post about group calling versus three-way calling. What's the difference? Why it matters? And bam, you've captured that traffic. And I think it's that. And then maybe it's also, and this is totally an assumption, and I welcome anybody who comes from a journalism background that worked or had aspirations to work in news or magazines, is content was ephemeral. Mm. Like what you posted in the New York Times a week ago does not matter anymore. Like you, you're on to the, you're always on to the next lead, next story and or thinking about next month's issue thinking about if you're sports illustrated the swimsuit issue i don't know like all the different things that you're thinking about going forward and because um at the very start of content marketing we've sort of uh become a magnet for journalism people who Mm -hmm. i don't know it wasn't a lucrative career anymore yeah uh not not like it was once was and they flocked to content marketing and brought probably that mentality there. Uh, and that's totally assumptions. I've actually been fortunate enough to work for people like Margaret Jones, who 
pretty much was an OG content marketer at uh, Marketo early days of mm. content marketing, working for Jason Miller, who had a journalism mindset, but knew that it was not just about more content and that it was about uh, building a library and having um, authority and creating, like treating content like a product that, you know, at Eventbrite, we saw it as uh, not just like, oh, let's publish a bunch of content. It was, no, we're going to create a third place, a destination for event professionals to come and trust and find all the resources they need. And that led us to having a completely different mindset of creating content. And I think it also kind of ties to the Disney thing too. Mm. We're going to dig into, uh, you mentioned to me to check out Reforge's content uh, around a uh, blog post around this Disney Synergy map, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit. But uh, in that article, which I'll link in the comments, they compared how Disney, which we'll, once again, we'll talk about because it's so interesting. Versus like other studios at that time. And what studios did was they were searching for like all the time. So like a hit movie. Uh, and I feel like that's what you're getting at here is like, we're the reason maybe why we're, we're producing so much content is we don't really understand how Google exactly works. Like we're just guessing. <laughs> and we're hoping like one of them gets to, uh, gets picked up enough that it's like number one on the list and that becomes the hit you know, peak pillar that brings in, you know, 80 to 90% of your traffic. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's, you know, just, that's it. Like we're playing the SEO game to make them more content oh, I... reach to, you know, um, to really like appease the Google gods or search engine gods essentially is a driver. Oh, of I this. definitely agree. Uh, it, in fact, like, so for, I've been fortunate enough to work for, uh, with, SEO people like uh, John Henry at Growth Plays, but I've also worked with, and I don't have their names and don't want to share names, but SEO agencies that literally just go, here's a keyword list. Yeah. And when you have that mentality, or maybe you don't even work with an agency and you just signed up for Ahrefs or SEMrush, you go and you look at your competitor's website and you see their ranking for this stuff, but you don't understand why because you've focused on google why did google choose that piece mm. that you end up like n you have this like need to just do as much as possible to see what's going to stick like you're saying mm. where i think with disney and maybe because i mean they haven't had always a hit they've had some kind of duds over the years uh but they they think about it as like the audience that are the what do we give the people? They think of their content back to the, what I was saying earlier. Content is a product. What is it that we can serve as a product? What's the like need? Just like when you build a product or service, you're fulfilling a job to be done. What is that job to be done? And how does it, you know, instead of thinking about the algorithm. That's so true. I love that you brought a job to be done. Like uh, I, I tweeted oh, yeah. once, like my heart melts whenever a marketer brings a job to be done. It's like been the most influential framework in my life. But I love how you, we're starting to dig into Disney a bit. Can you, what is this Disney's synergy map and how has it like become a mental model for you in terms of, of content, uh, you know, purposing, distribution, and how you think uh, your philosophy is actually around, around content? Yeah. All right. So for the folks at home on the podcast, you know, Romney's going to definitely put a link to That's that reforge. So you'll see this visual. But until then, I will try to paint a picture. Uh, it is essentially a back of the napkin sketch. Not literally, it's much more beautiful than any of us are going to like try and draw on the back of a napkin. Uh, but what you see at the center is the movies. So thinking of all of their Disney movies. And then you see these other nodes of theme parks, music, audio records, and tapes i think not even tapes i think it was all just records then uh lps or whatever and then there was television commercials is another node. merch is another node and then there's uh there's another one oh books mm, books in like like which is not just like children's books but coloring books and all of that stuff and what you see is there's like it's kind of like a 
is it Charlie Day's character from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like yeah. trying doing a conspiracy theory, all the like connecting lines. Uh, it's like that, but much more beautiful and less yeah. uh, insane. And it shows you how they have created essentially like a flywheel or mm -hmm. a framework for when they do have a hit. How do they get, you know, all the juice out of it? How do they make sure when they launch a hit movie, does it become part of the, you know, how does it, you know, um, become realized in the theme park? They use the characters, the storylines there. They then create a book version of the movie and coloring books. And then there's the audio book version. The music goes to CDs. The characters go to TV and, you know, fast forward to when yeah. they were doing sending stuff home. Um, so that is the Disney's uh, synergy map. Uh, they did it in 1957. And when I found that Reforge article, found out they redid it 10 years later. Mm. I wish I, I've been trying to see if they've done something similar since then. It'd be really cool to find it. But um, I'm trying to think of how to describe like how it's like, affected me. I was starting to think about this last night, knowing you were going to ask this. And essentially when I was starting in content marketing, so actually back up, I, before content marketing worked in film and broadcasting. Mm. Before that, I went to film school. In film school, I had to take mass comm classes and a bunch of courses that helped me understand the business side. So it was content production, but I had to know like how to get money how to market things. And I had a really, really good teacher. Uh, David Jones is his name. And he was an Imagineer. And he had shown the Disney Synergy map. And I was just like blown away because right. like, I don't know why like I have this knack. Maybe it's my ADHD. Like mm. when I see like something like that, it's like seeing the code in the matrix. <laughs> and... And so fast forward, like that thing kind of faded from memory. Then I get into content marketing is about like 10 or so years ago. And I'm, there's no, not as much material as there is today on the internet to learn about this stuff. A few watering holes here and there. Um, one of them was, uh, so Jason Miller at, and, um, at LinkedIn with, uh, Margaret Jones, we're talking about carving up the turkey and that was like the metaphor of it of it and then newscred called it uh the content pillar approach and right you, i'll try and send you a link you can add uh in there but there was this old ebook of like showing how you can chop up an ebook into smaller blog posts then chop that stuff up into interesting the social copy yeah. email landing page copy like repurpose the whole ebook into a webinar mm. and this is all the stuff that like people talk about repurposing today was the foundation supposed to be the foundation of it a decade ago. And people are now having this awakening over the last few years that, oh, we should repurpose content. <laughs> uh, and so I still hadn't remembered the Disney synergy map at that point. Like I was just soaking up all of that stuff. And then um, basically what happened was I still was trying to learn more about content marketing before I got to Eventbrite. I was still in the first like year or two. And I accidentally went down this rabbit hole on UX content strategy thinking or not realizing that it was separate from content marketing. Mm. And it was uh, Rachel Lovinger Razorfish at Razorfish. They created this uh, thing called Nimble Content. I don't know if it still exists out there on the internet. And they talked about this idea of modular content and how your content is in chunks that can be repurposed, moved around, all of that. Uh, and this was had so many reasons to do this, which was like just creating, like working smarter, not harder. But also for this is around 2012 when the mobile web craze came. So it was like, how do you get your desktop uh, site to be a mobile site? But it was that modular thinking that I was like, wait a minute, I know what this is. I understand mm. this modular idea because yeah. film and television, 
when you go when they go shoot a movie, they might film the last scene on yeah. day one. Right. And so it's all modules that yeah. get shot. And some of that stuff never makes it into the final film. I mean, you see it when you look at deleted scenes and things like that. And so this modular concept made sense to me. And I brought it early in to um, content marketing. And then shortly after that was when I stumbled upon, again, the Disney Synergy Map. And that was when this content pillar approach went from you write a 3,000 word ebook and you, because it's gated, you need to like turn that into smaller blog posts that'll rank on search, became a much bigger beast or more complex like code in the matrix to me where it was, uh, and this is actually something that uh, if you subscribe to Devin Reed's uh, reader yeah. network or um, newsletter, uh, he talks about content waterfalls. Mm. This is the same idea and it was, uh, I call it like content atomization and I think about it before I go into production the same way Disney does is like, all right, I have this piece of content and I'm going to make it a hit and the way I make it a hit is not by publishing just this one piece, but thinking about how that one piece will be repurposed and remixed and then eventually like refreshed into multiple pieces because as if you're listening to this, you're a marketer and you know that as a marketer, the most powerful tool in your toolkit is exposure. Like how do you like find more ways to like hammer in and the message and just constantly get someone's attention? And it's you just need to be in multiple places at once. And the Disney synergy map and this idea of content repurposing, remixing, just sort of coalesced into this like beast of an idea of like you can create infinite content from all these different sources and I started to even think of the Disney Synergy map um, when I want to say it was around like 2017, 2018 came to me was uh, what it helped me do was realize that when I was working on a piece of content like ebook I would be going to customers and subject matter experts calling them on the phone getting on like a I guess Zoom existed then, uh, and getting all this information and in sort of behind closed doors. And what that made me realize is back to Devin Reed's uh, content water uh, waterfalls is I could just do an event where mm. I get those people to ask those questions in public and I have a polished piece of content right. that I can then repurpose. And then I've instead of there me taking the ebook and chopping it up into and bringing it back to video. I've already created the video. It's the event, the panel where I had a bunch of people talking about that topic and gave me the material that gets caught up and goes into the ebook. And so I started to see from an operational standpoint how that Disney synergy map worked in content marketing. Before I continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. Now, when you're in scale-up growth mode and you have to hit your KPIs, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups, and it's a lot to handle. There's demand gen, email sequences, RevOps, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWall, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc to build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing growth problems today and help you build the foundations for the future, look no further. Visit 42agency.com to talk to a strategist right now to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine. Thank you also to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs Free Webmaster Tools. Now, if you want to rank your website higher in search engines, you have to make sure that your website doesn't have any technical SEO issues. Because if you do, that's like trying to run a race with your shoes tied together. That's how you lose, and we don't want that. Luckily, Ahrefs Free Webmaster Tools can crawl up to 5,000 pages to find 140 common technical SEO issues that could be holding your site back from generating valuable traffic can also help you find your strongest backlinks as well as analyze keywords you're ranking for and see keyword search volume and ranking difficulty for each of those keywords. You can sign up for free at ahrefs.com forward slash webmaster tools or find the link in the description and show notes. Well, let's get back to the episode. 
everything you just said there is like so much gold mine uh, that you're you're really digging up there. Um, and one of the things that really struck with me is like, you know, when Disney's like investing in like, you know, if when they're gonna put two hundred fifty million dollars in like a movie, they're not just gonna release that movie. Like you're you're talking about like the more investment there are, the more likely they're thinking about toy lines and you know like new ride into the sea. Uh, so that they, they all kind of fuels each other, like almost like a flywheel where you, you might, you might get introduced to it via a toy, but that brings you into the movie and that brings you into the ride. Right. So it's like, it's this almost like cycle it, of like bring entry, multiple entry points to this flywheel is, is what I'm kind of hearing with what that is. Multiple entry points and multiple re-entry points mm, so interesting we're parents right yeah we're you know our kids gonna see a movie right probably like us watch it a hundred times then maybe hopefully we bring them to a disney park and after they go to the disney park they're they might have not watched the movie in a long time and reconnect with that character and or reconnect or have that experience on that ride or that breakfast and then when they get home they're going to go back and want to watch it it's mm. what and i think it's in the reforge article but uh, correct me if i'm wrong because it has been a little while since i read it but it's a synergy map and i know synergy has like a weird word <laughs> like now like yeah synergy right uh but I think the way people might see it le- as like not a jargony, like banal platitude thing is it's like a monetization strategy mm. because they're saying, all right, we're going to make this movie. It's going to make X amount of dollars at the box right. office. But that IP, that content IP is also going to make X amount of dollars at theme parks and CDs and DVDs and streaming and merch and, all those things. So it's thinking like a media company at, you know, at its finest. That's true. And I think the other thing, not it's, there's a monetization strategy uh, there for, for Disney, but for, you know, for companies like this is like at the heart of marketing, like becoming top of mind for them. Like they're seeing, imagine like seeing star, like that, that Disney character everywhere. You go to the grocery, there's the cereal aisle. There, you right. go to the movie. You see the poster. You go to the to toys or wherever you get your toys now, and you're, you're like right there. And it, like that's how you win. It was like when you remain top of mind for your consumer, and they're like, "Oh, I'm in my purchasing habit now. Like, what do I buy? The one that's top of mind, <laughs> essentially." Right. So like that, it, like you're being everywhere and being prolific is like really helping you become the choice for. For whatever product that is, especially in B two B, it's hundred percent. I recently at OpenPhone did a little internal talk about content, and I focused it on like content being a content creator because everybody mm. wants to be a YouTuber and podcaster these days, right? Yeah, um, not us, right? No. <laughs> uh, and, and so I focused it on that, and I said, you know, I talked about like Mr. Beast and all these people who are making millions, but the I. I called it the six keys to the content kingdom. Okay. And the uh, I, I may end up doing this publicly, uh, TBD. If so, then you can add it back to the notes later. Uh, but um, the first key is forget about fame and fortune. Focus on attention. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter like who you're competing against. Like, okay, right. you have, if you're a B2B SaaS company, right? Like, let's take open phone as an example. Yeah. Like we have, other phone competitors. We compete against Verizon and AT&T because some people think getting a business phone means going down and getting another a second iPhone. Yeah. So, but those people are not always in the, you know, purchasing like our buyer mode, but what content can do in that mere exposure effect is it increases the amount of attention that we have and the amount of value in that relationship. Mm. That's why like the whole community thing is like, followed on the coattails of content because content literally creates community there's a reason there's fandoms right yeah. like disney period there are apparently disney like gangs 
like families who like, I don't know. I, I read about that and it was kind of funny because there was like joke. There were people fighting over who could like take a picture in front of a fountain at Disney. And I was like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> but that's uh, yeah. anyways, like it creates fandoms. It creates like uh, it's I always see content as the like watering hole or the water cooler for yeah. a community or a fandom. And when you can do it right and you can do it right with that sort of uh, synergy strategy, modernization strategy, and you can, it's that exposure. And so when someone is starting a new business and they realize, yeah. hey, I need a business phone. Mm. Hey, uh, I got all that really good advice and, you know, learned about, you know, stories from other small business owners from that company open phone. Let me check out their thing. Mm. That's so good. The challenge that I often hear around this is like it's so hard to attribute. And I feel like that's missing the whole point of what we're for people tuning in here is that, you know, like this stuff is sometimes unmeasurable, but like you you can sense it. The 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 attention leads to quicker buys, quicker sell cycles, and like I'm not sure. How do you respond to that? Like especially like lately with like the economy, people are like, hey. Let's go back to direct response and just like cut off, you know, investment and like wait, you know, that you're cutting your your yourself at the yeah. foot there, it's like limiting your growth essentially. Number one, attribution is bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I like so there's this dichotomy inside of me that's attribution what? is bullshit. Like mm. and. It is a spicy hot take that's not original. I mean, there's other people who say the same thing. You know, uh, Amanda and Rand at SparkToro talked about it a lot. Uh, And But what I mean when I say it is that it's a bullshit thing to argue about. It's a bullshit thing. And I'm sorry if I'm supposed to be not cursing. No, no, this is an adult show. Uh, (laughs) Marketers are adults. But like it's bullshit because like you waste so much time trying to prove it when what matters most is it's a team sport. Mm. Like if you think about it, like the success of Marvel is not one. like everyone knows Kevin. It's weird how everyone knows who Kevin Feige is. Uh, Like no one ever knew who executive producers were now like it's a name. Um, But like. It's not him. It's a group effort. It's mm. the marketers. It's all the people who like lift up and make that happen. The actors, the screenwriters, definitely yeah. the writers. Pay the writers. We're in the middle of a strike right yeah. now. Uh, and it's the same with marketing. It's like sales does one thing, marketing does another thing. All the different parts of marketing do different things. Product does a lot of work. It is a group effort. And when I say there's a dichotomy inside of me is I'm also a ridiculous data nerd. Uh, and so for me, it's, it's not about attribution, but being able to see the, like using the measurement all the way through every, everywhere from like the website all the way out to your like rented properties, your social properties, your, you know, email click through rates, your attendance rates, your registration rates, all those numbers. I think if you look at them on a, in with like in a silo and if, or if you focus on like one or two, that's where like things go wrong. But for me, I see, I, I had my team build me this dashboard. We're still working on it. Uh, it's not there. Or else I'd show you like a screenshot of my dream dashboard. I might be able to sketch it out for you one day, but it's like being in the like control room of a nuclear power plant. There's all these like different things with information. But if I'm like the director of that, that um, power plant, I can stand at the console, look at everything mm-hmm. and go, Everything's good. This mm. this power plant is yeah. stable. Yeah, um, and well, and I can then also look at all of those data points and go, that right there. Let's mm. tweak that, mm. and we'll actually get more efficient, you know, energy out of this plant. Yeah. And so, 
like there's that's where the dichotomy is is like attribution is saying that that one metric mm. is what you know or that one thing that one touch point is what did it but i mean the whole reason you know <laughs> back to calling back uh your episode with brendan uh hufford like dark social right yeah word of mouth like no one knows what happens when you know someone's starting a business it could be they just went to some other site that mentioned open phone yeah that when you're starting a business and but didn't link it or anything or they were starting a business went to some subreddit or some other like niche community that no one has ever heard of and heard of open phone as like or voip mm. and i think what's happened is is like it, the reason with attribution is bullshit is that uh we've as i think like the last decade we've been so fixated on all the digital marketing yeah. like metrics that we forgot before those existed how we measured marketing and yeah there's the joke of like you know half of my budget gets wasted half of it like doesn't the problem is that i don't know which okay. half uh but like there's some truth to that yeah but i think in the digital post-digital world uh post-digital world like today I think there's things that you can do that are substantial for measuring the effectiveness of, say, content that isn't like converting or driving like easily attributable to revenue. Right. So like uh, doing a piece like let's just pretend I'm, you know, doing an interview or a profile on Romley John, a small business owner who just overcame the odds and built a empire in his little hometown or something like that. Like never mentions a product, never does anything, right? What's the value in that? Mm. Well, what I do is I have to, so in my advisory roles, open phone and in my past roles is explain to the leaders that the value is not the conversion. I have content that does that. Yeah. This has a different job to be done. Mm. The job to be done here is, and this is another thing you can link, is go look up uh, BuzzFeed's cultural cartography. This is something I, early on in my like wanting yeah. to be build a media company, I met with the bureau chief of uh, BuzzFeed and just got him to dump all this stuff on me. And I learned about the, the cartography then. It was like, oh, they've mapped out the jobs to be done for content. And most B2B SaaS companies are focused on like two to three of these like jobs to be done. And when you see it, it's like this flat graph and there's like a hundred different jobs to be done. And so a story about Romley, the, uh, the small business owner is, oh, this is about helping other people connect with Romley and see themselves in it and be inspired mm. and it's not about selling anything. It's about, and then we, because they feel inspired, there's an emotional trigger mm. that then they associate with my brand. And what's even better is in a day and age where distribution is, I'm going to just drop an F on. It's hard as fuck. Like <laughs> really hard. Like well, yes. seriously hard. It's, yeah. it's fucking impossible yeah. these days. Like when we started in this, it was like shooting fish in the barrel. It got a little bit harder. Now it's practically like, it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, but when you do something like that, think about it compared to a case study. If I interviewed Romney about adopting open phone, why are you going to share that? Are you going to like <laughs> share a case study on why you bought the camera that That's you true. bought? Maybe if like yeah. you're an influencer and you're yeah. going to get paid off the back of that, but no one's going to share a case study. But someone's going to share a story where they were the hero of the story and, mm. and they got recognized and somebody yeah. who was a way better storyteller than them made them look like a badass, made like them that. do the I am Iron Man like yeah. kind of moment yeah, and made them feel like invincible and they'll share that and they'll share it a whole bunch and bring more people to the site mm. who may end up seeing in my sidebar and by browsing my content, the stuff that brings them further and closer to a purchase decision. I love that. 
you're really like talking about like there's this emotional side that we often miss with our content that you know Disney gets it because like emotional drives you know them coming to the Disney store or like going to the parks you know that's why people propose at Dis- Disney parks <laughs> you know it's like right. who would have who who in the I can't imagine Walt Disney planning like oh one day people will be proposing to their life partner one of her parts I want to think that he I the more he, he studied Disney, I would I would not doubt that he he was thinking about that thought that probably yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably right there. I love that you're really driving into the emotion there. We've been think- talking a lot about this synergy map. Um, I'm sure you've applied it quite a few times in your advisory role at Open Phone, everywhere else that you probably worked at. Is there one that you, an example that you can um, share to the folks that I can link in the in, in the description as well that kind of shows like how how you you've kind of applied this this map or this this flow or process or thinking or metaphor don't have a great example at open phone yet because open phone is the smallest like less like mature company no it sounds bad like they're not mature we're not mature uh but uh series b i've usually joined companies that have been around 10 years or series d or something uh so i haven't been able to build out anything there uh and i'm trying to think i might not have any perfect examples here i could probably describe stuff better uh maybe something you've funny seen because maybe see you see yeah. like in b2b SaaS uh, or SaaS, or even like your experience at hopin or eventbrite you were talking yeah, about like so, getting interviews or that yeah at hopin i would have to like See, I'd have to go find the content, but uh, the Hopin is actually the best example I have that I can describe. Is when I joined Hopin, we were the you know content teams here. All of a sudden, everyone thought we were like kind of like a service center, uh, and cool. at putting a bunch of requests in. Right, and I was like, no, and it was really uncomfortable. But I'm glad we did it. It took us a few months to like kind of get people to realize especially the events team. Mm. And the reason is, is like I, they were like tapping us for ideas about content for the event. Like they were thinking logistics and getting the right names and things like that and how to promote it. But the content of the event, they were leaning on us for. Mm. And so I used that opportunity to let them know like, hey, I have the next quarter of content published. And what we can do is constantly be looking uh, out three months. So like if it were June, I'm planning August and plotting that onto the calendar and then doing that every other month or every month. And because I know in three months, I'm going to be doing a big meaty piece on topic X. I want you to do an event on that Mm. topic. Yeah. And let's go and find the right subject matter expert on the panel and throw some customers in there so they have some examples. And so what we were doing and was basically looking at the content that was coming up and planning stuff ahead of time that would then get seeded into that content. Mm. Then uh, we also did it on the flip side where, oh, we're going to like refresh that old piece that someone wrote before I started do an event like let's do uh let's use that piece as the like talking point or the fodder for the event get people to react to it then actually go and refresh the piece um and so that's one way of thinking about it that i've done it at um at hopin and then there's like so many other different ways to do it where you you might even just do the social post to like test stuff out, like uh, name dropping again. Uh, Amanda Natividad is a proponent of this, of where test everything out on social. Mm. Uh, right now, it's we're recording at the end of May, and if you've been paying attention to my Twitter, I'm asking some questions about the influence of media. Mm. Well, I'm purposely testing out some questions for an interview uh, for a podcast that I'm going to start. Like I like it. And so, but then you build all of that to then work it in. And then there's like the merch. So like that podcast idea, uh, 
I have a tagline that, maybe not a tagline for the show, but I have this idea for if it gets, gets popular, I can sell a piece of merch that has like an element of the name of it in it. I don't want yeah, I, to I give it away right now. Uh, but um, yeah. you're laughing because I already told you. But uh, <laughs> the the idea is that like I'm thinking of how to increase the footprint of this content IP. I'm also looking to increase the footprint of the topic authority. So it's not just mm. one or two blog posts or an ebook. It is like multiple touch points so that it doesn't look, because think about it, right? Like if anybody comes up to you and says they, you know, share some expertise, cool, you learned it. Months later, you probably forgot it. Like, mm -hmm. or weeks later, you probably forgot it. But if that person's constantly showing up saying the similar, the same thing or, or in the same vein or in the same area, you start to go, oh, that person knows something. And so... It's about approaching content that way and using that synergy map to understand that you can increase like your footprint and also feed into different consumption preferences. So some people might want to read something. Some mm. people might want to watch something. Um, oh, here's another one that we're doing at OpenPhone is we're taking a long form blog post and we're doing a too long didn't read video. I like that. <laughs> And then we'll embed, we'll put yeah. those on YouTube, then embed it back into the post is something that we're about to start mm. doing. That's so good. I love those examples. I've also seen where like, you know, turning their articles into like audio on a podcast so that people don't want to read, mm. they can listen to it. Um, mm -hmm. super cool. One thing that I heard here that, you know, I feel like maybe not a lot of people think about is like you mapped out the quarter, the content for the next quarter and you're like, okay, we're doing an event. How can we fit that event? So that they both work together, synergy. <laughs> they're synerg they're synergizing. This is right. the most time I've ever said synergy in a long time. But like they're working <laughs> together to like support a bigger story around this topic. So, which is like, why attribution's bullshit. Was it the event <laughs> or the piece of content, like the written content? Who knows? Like so good. And then you know uh, what I used to do at Udemy too. Another example is. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of back to the movie example where like deleted scenes and stuff like that. Um, we were creating these ebooks that had a ton of research and a lot of like material gathered that ended up not in the ebook. Yeah. And we're very sales led over there on the B2B side. And so what I would do is create like a, um, a, a guide like our, like you have for um, when you have a book read club and there's like a facilitator to like talk about a like, guide to talk about the book. And has like other sources to like look at and reference. We'd put all of that into a doc. So it'd be a too long didn't read explanation of the ebook. And then it'd be all these other related pieces of content. So then when sales saw that in their Marketo, we're able to see like, oh, Romley downloaded that ebook. Mm. Let me engage with them about it. And instead of saying, oh, you read that ebook <laughs> and being creepy or something like that, it'd be like, hey, you know, like, just wanted to share this article with you. I think that, you know, you'll find interesting and it'll just be about that same topic. So they feel right. like, oh, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about and knows or care knows about something that I care about yeah. or am interested in. That's and cool. so, yeah. I love that. That, that was, just, oh man, that's such a good example as well. Using like content now to not just for like at the front end, but enabling sales and helping them like reach out. So. Thank you for sharing this. I actually want to shift gears in, uh, uh, and talk about career power-ups. Now, you mentioned you've been, you started your career in film and TV industry and you moved to content marketing. You worked at some like really well-known companies like Eventbrite, Hopin, Udemy, and now you're with OpenPhone. I'm curious, what's like a power-up that's helped you in your career? And it could be something like networking or like talking to people and just chatting, or it could be something more of like a marketing skill. But I'm curious, what's a power-up that's helped you in your career? So kind of going back to this like media and media company thing. So everyone talks about building a media company, thinking like mm. a media company. And if there's one power up as like content becomes multimedia that uh, that has served me well is reading, learning about and deeply understanding Marshall McCollins con uh, medium. The medium is the message. So in the 1960s, I believe it was, maybe 70s, he blew everyone's mind with this th media theory that 
the medium in which the uh, message is being delivered is as if not more important than the content of the message. And it boils down to that the different mediums and the different genres have their strengths and weaknesses and purposes. Mm. And what we see now and why I love your podcast, by the way, and you might be doing this without realizing it is you actually ha- understand the medium better than most B2B mm. SaaS uh, podcasters. Uh, most of them are talking heads, talking shop. And they think all I have to do is book a name, get them on a call and talk shop. And then they ask some question that sometimes is like just ridiculous. Uh, Jay Tunza recently talked about this and like someone asking him about the like ROI of storytelling. And he's like, I don't even understand that question. Uh, so like yeah. you really like obviously that person did not do any research on mm. Jay Kunzo or they would have known that that was kind of a silly question. Uh, but with Marshall McCullen and like the medium is a message, you understand that like, oh, when I'm reading something written, like a blog post or an ebook, and I realize I've lost track or got distracted, it's easy for me to scan, like mm. flip back the page or scroll up to find where I got lost, get back on track and continue. It is really hard to do that on video. That's true. It is yeah. practically impossible to do that on audio. Yeah. Like unless like some re- way you're looking at like a sound wave and you can tell where something was being said, uh, which most people can't do, like it's impossible. And that's mm-hmm. a weakness. So you that's why like um, Jay Akunzo had recommended and thankfully he did because it reminded me of a lot of stuff I learned in film school, a book called uh, Out on the Wire, which the wire. helped me understand like, Oh, in audio, like you need signposting. You need to be able to say like, oh, well, Ronnie just said all this stuff and you're doing it, by the way. You're like, oh, I heard you say this. Here's what I understood. And it Mm -hmm. makes sure that people listening to the podcast have caught up their understanding. They're not lost because the second you lose them, they're going to like go, oh, well, it's too much effort to figure out where I last was on like paying attention. And so uh, you lost them. They won't finish the episode. And so I think that's the power up is as we move into multimedia, I think people need to, uh, marketers need to learn more about theory. And I would say start with the medium is the message. I love that. I'm going to check that out. Also out on the wire. I'm going to go buy that right after this. We'll link that in the comments as well. But uh, there's so much stuff uh, I'm, I'm learning from this. One, one final question. If you can sh- just give an advice to a younger version of Ronnie, maybe he's starting out in content marketing or maybe he's like just graduated from film school. You decide when <laughs> the message gets through. What would be an advice you'd give a younger version of you? It's funny. I had an idea knowing that you would ask because you asked this question. Uh was originally going to say like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. But I think I wouldn't be here if I were afraid to make mistakes and I'd probably be like, well, what are you talking about? Uh, If I was going back to myself at the beginning of my career, whether it was film or content marketing, it would be trust in people and build a network because the bigger my network has gotten, the more I've learned more from my network and gained more value from my network of like people who I consider friends Mm. than anything else. Like my whole career is what it is today because I've met, built and nurtured relationships with people. And I would tell my younger self that that is like more valuable than even work performance sometimes. Mm. I chatted with somebody else, Claire Solentrop, and she said one of her power up is like being kind to people and like you don't know when it comes back and it's so true, right? Being friends with folks and just like like really caring about people, it, you know, mm-hmm. there's no ROI on that. <laughs> you know, just like that storytelling, but it does come back around for sure. I love that. It's one of those things that you see and you can connect the dots. It's like... uh Steve Jobs said, like, you can look back and see how it did it, but it's not going to be immediate. You know, there's people who I 
like uh, my whole advising career uh, started with uh, Jale Bishrat, the former CMO of uh, Eventbrite. She had been gone. Like I hadn't talked to her in years, maybe a couple of years or so. And I got laid off at Eventbrite and I got a call. Mm. Like, okay, <laughs> answer the call. What's up, Jale? I want to introduce you to uh, my VC. Why? She had just started a company. And yeah. so the company, the venture capital firm that uh, had um, backed her or invested in her, she wanted to introduce me to. That led to advising all of these seed Series A yeah. startups and being able to increase, like, it's almost like having multiple jobs and trying multiple strategies over a short period of time. Like, I've built a organic content engine with zero SEO and mm. proved that you don't need SEO. So good. How often do you get to do that? Like, yeah. You might get one shot at it if you're in, you know, get it doing it in-house, but uh, from an advisory role, was able to do it while also helping another person invest in SEO. I had such a fun chat with Ronnie. I feel like I can really relate with creatives and creators like Ronnie so well. You can find out more about Ronnie's work by following him on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll also find those links in the show notes and description. Thanks to Ronnie for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use hit their KPIs consistently, and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening, and please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and leave a comment on YouTube. goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design, and thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power ups. Until the next episode. <laughs>